0: I want to tell you a story that was related to me. I've changed a few of the details and the names of the story. The story's not original to me. It's a story about two young African-American teenagers living in a very difficult inner-city neighborhood, which was filled with gang violence. Neither one of these boys, we're going to call them Deshaun and Marvin, Neither one of these boys had any sort of father figure in their life whatsoever. And sadly, in both cases, their moms were caught up in drug addictions, which prevented them from being able to provide much assistance and help for their two sons. In fact, in both Deshaun's case and in Marvin's case, they were more responsible for taking care of their moms than vice versa. Now, in the neighborhood in which they lived, there were gangs that were operating, and those gangs very much wanted Deshaun and Marvin to join with them in their activity. Now, when you look at a situation like that, there is a hopelessness that sort of comes over you as you hear that story. But there is, of course, humanly speaking, a ray of hope. And that is the possibility that Deshawn and Marvin could get an education. That if they could find a way to uh, be able to learn and to better themselves, that they might be able to get out of that destructive pattern and that destructive cycle. The problem is, is that those in their neighborhood who are involved in gang activity don't want Deshawn or Marvin to embrace the idea of school. And so their friends and neighbors are constantly talking uh, school down and saying that it's uh, not for them and that who are they trying to be and they're never going to get out and what are they trying to make of themselves. The gang members that they have grown up with, even with veiled threats, have said to them that if they don't participate in this activity, the gang activity, that the gang might not be able to protect them. And perhaps something bad might happen to them along the way. Now in Deshawn's case, for whatever reason, he's got into his mind that school is his way out. And so he's devoted and committed to it. He realizes this is his one chance, that he's got to be engaged, he's got to be involved, and he's absolutely committed to the idea that there is hope through this vehicle, humanly speaking. Marvin, on the other hand, is ambivalent about school. He's not against it, but he's not really for it. He's simply undecided, if you will. He's not given that much thought to it. To him, school's just something you go to every day. He's not thought deeply about how this might be a way out. He's not thought through those things. Indecision, ambivalence. He simply just doesn't really have an opinion on the matter. Now the question is, which of those two young men, Deshaun or Marvin, do you hold out more hope for that they're going to get out of that situation? Deshaun, this morning I'd like to talk to you about the tragedy of agnosticism the tragedy of agnosticism now the word agnostic just simply basically means I don't know in the story I just told you of the two Marvin is the agnostic he's not against school he's not for gang violence he simply doesn't really have a position he's neutral he's undecided he's agnostic he doesn't know where he fits and where he stands now the tragedy of this neutral position it sounds fine it sounds fine to sort of be neutral but the tragedy of agnosticism is that in marvin's case because he didn't really embrace school because he didn't fight for his education he got sucked into Gang violence. He dropped out of school and he was murdered. This is the tragedy of agnosticism that that neutral position was actually a dangerous one. Well, the story of Marvin simply opens up to us the idea that agnosticism, the undecided position, is actually. A potentially dangerous place to be not simply as it relates to school but more importantly as it relates to Jesus when I talk about somebody who is agnostic about Jesus I'm not talking about the person who is fundamentally antagonistic towards Christ or towards religion or towards Christianity that's not who I'm talking about we know people like that but that's not when we say agnostic who we mean Nor, of course, am I talking about somebody who is passionately devoted to Christ, who's engaged with him. I'm talking about those people that you and I know, that I'm sure some are here this morning, who are sort of neutral on the whole thing. They don't really have a deep-held opinion about Jesus. To be true, they've not really thought that much about it. They're not really against Jesus. They're not really for him either. They're agnostic when it comes to Jesus. And this morning we want to explore the dangers of that position. And to do so, we want to look at perhaps the most famous agnostic in the Bible. His story is found in John chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. John chapter 18, it's page 767 in the Bibles the church provides. This famous agnostic is named Pontius Pilate. And while you're turning, let me tell you a little bit about this man named Pilate so we can have some background and understanding. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea, the province of Israel where Jerusalem is. He's the one that's in charge on behalf of the Roman Empire. He's not Jewish, he's Roman. He's been sent to Israel because Israel is under Rome's thumb, and it's Pilate's job to make sure that nothing gets out of hand in Judea. As governor, he has supreme authority for the Roman Empire in his jurisdiction. Now, he does report to the supreme commander of the East for the Roman Empire, but where he is, he's the law. He is the representative of Rome. Now if our dates are correct and our understanding of the history is right, by the time John 18 rolls around, Pilate has been governor for about seven years. Although he's not Jewish, during those seven years he's had enough run-ins with the Jewish leadership to begin to understand something about who they are, how they think, what's important to them, and how potentially dangerous they can be. Again, if our timing is correct, about a year before John chapter 18, Pilate's mentor and protector, the captain of the Praetorian Guard back in Rome, loses his position. And so at this point, Pilate is feeling much more nervous about his job. The big guy back home that was looking out for him to the emperor is no longer there. And so Pilate's hold on his position is much more tenuous. That's who Pilate is and what we think is his sort of state of mind at the time of John 18. Let's set the setting for when the story of John 18 occurs. What we're about to read in John 18 happens the morning of Good Friday the morning on which Jesus will be crucified, the day on which Jesus will be crucified, what we're going to look at in John chapter 18 happens that morning. Now, seven days earlier from Good Friday, on the Saturday before, Jesus was attending a dinner thrown in his honor in Bethany by Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So grateful were they for receiving Lazarus back from the dead that they throw a dinner in his honor, honor, and lots and lots of people come, and they're amazed because here's Jesus, and here's Lazarus eating dinner, the guy who was dead, who's been raised back from the dead. That next day after the dinner on Saturday is Palm Sunday, sort of today, if you will, as we're going through our calendar of events. On that Sunday, jesus is going to make his entry into jerusalem because so many people have heard about lazarus there are crowds lining the street and as jesus enters john tells us that the people begin to chant and to cheer blessed is the king of israel and do not be afraid o daughter of zion see your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt now because jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish leaders were wanting to kill him. But on Palm Sunday, as they see the crowds, they comment to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And there is a hopelessness in their voices as they think, we gotta stop this guy, but how in the world would you do it? That's Palm Sunday, four days later, They get a present handed to them. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, decides to betray his Lord. And so on the Thursday evening, or four days from today, if you will, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and we looked at this story last week. Here come the temple guards and Roman soldiers there to arrest Jesus. That's late in the evening on Thursday. Jesus is arrested and taken to Caiaphas' house, who is the high priest. We saw that last week. This takes us through Thursday night on into Friday morning. Jesus is interrogated and held in a dungeon. Early Friday morning, on the day he will be crucified, Jesus is brought to Pilate's palace for trial. And that's where we pick up our story. Now I'm going to read chapter 18, beginning in verse 28. As I read, I'd like you to listen, but I'd also like you to watch as I try to illustrate spatially what's going on in this text. So let's begin reading in verse number 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, The Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. We have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Mm -hmm. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him with a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns in the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. "'Where do you come from?' he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. "'Do you refuse to speak to me?' Pilate said. "'Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you?' Jesus answered, "'You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. "'Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin.' From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Did you see visually what was happening? Pilate is going in and out of his palace. It's because he's caught between two different groups of people. On one hand, he has the Jewish leaders who won't set foot in his palace because they think they'll be defiled. On the other hand, he has Jesus who's inside the palace. As John narrates Pilate going back and forth between these two, we have a picture of a man who's caught between two opposing groups. He's not really resonating with either one of them. He hears the Jewish leaders tell him that Jesus is a dangerous insurrectionist, but he's got some doubts about that he talks to Jesus and Jesus is this very enigmatic strange elusive figure he's pretty sure he didn't do what he's being accused of doing but he doesn't really know what to do with Jesus so back and forth back and forth Pilate goes between these two groups see this is the position of the agnostic he's not on either side or the other It's kind of like Marvin from the story I told you at the beginning of the sermon. On one hand, you have the neighborhood gangs. And on the other hand, you have this enigmatic idea of education and school. Marvin's not really for the gangs, and he's not really embracing the concept of school. He's sort of caught in between the two. He's not sure which one's right. He's ambivalent and undecided. That's the position of agnosticism. And that's the position that Pilate finds himself in on this very important day. Now, Pilate doesn't like the position. He's uncomfortable. He's torn between these two choices. And so he tries a couple of things to try to get out of this uncomfortable position. The first one he tries is to avoid making a decision. Look in verse 31. The Jews have brought Jesus to Pilate, telling him, hey, a couple of days ago he was walking into the city of Jerusalem. Everybody was cheering for him, saying he was a king. He's a danger to you. Pilate listens to what they say, and then he says in verse 31, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. Pilate's like, this sounds like a religious issue to me. He's like, i am got no interest in this. i got no dog in this fight. You guys got a problem with it? Fine. Go deal with it. Why do you want me involved? Pilate, he just doesn't really care. This is not his thing. They're obviously passionate about it. Well, that's fine, deal with it. But the religious leaders will not allow Pilate to have that position. They need him to accomplish their purposes. So they continue to press on him. And indecision is not an option. Pilate can't avoid dealing with what has been dropped on his doorstep this Friday morning. Neither, on the other hand, does Jesus allow indecision. Notice what he says in verse 38. Sorry, verse 37. You are right in saying I am a king, Jesus answered. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth, Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is saying to Pilate, look, you got to make a choice. I'm on the side of truth. You either have to think I'm a dangerous insurrectionist and a blasphemer, or I am the Son of God who has come down to reveal truth to the world. you got to pick a position. Indecision is not allowable. You can't avoid doing something. In this case. So Pilate tries a second strategy to try to get out of his uncomfortable position. He tries the strategy of compromise. The first compromise he offers, he says to the Jewish leaders, how about I declare him guilty and then give him back to you as part of the amnesty program at Passover? He'll still be guilty, but we don't have to kill him then. He can be released to you. Pilate's thinking to himself, we always give a prisoner back at Passover. The only other guy is Barabbas, and that guy's a thief and a bandit. Nobody wants him. He's thinking, surely they'll take this compromise. But they don't. They choose Barabbas and they tell him to crucify Jesus. So Pilate says, let me try another compromise. He takes Jesus and has him severely beaten. He dresses him in a purple robe and puts a crown of thorns on his head. He brings him out and he says, how about this? I punished him. I beat him silly. Nobody's gonna look at this guy now and think he's an insurrectionist. Nobody's gonna think he's a king. Look at him. Will you accept this? But again, the Jewish leaders aren't satisfied with Jesus simply being beaten. They want him crucified, and they refuse to accept the compromise. Pilate tries a third compromise. He says to them, okay, fine, you crucify him. You want him crucified, you do it. They won't take that one either. They want him to do it, and they won't take no for an answer. None of his compromise positions are accepted. So Pilate tries a compromise with Jesus. He goes back in to interview him one more time. This time when he asks him questions, Jesus doesn't say anything. And Pilate says to him essentially, look, buddy, give me something here. I'm trying to help you out. Give me anything that I can use. You don't want to be crucified. I've got the power to let you out of this. Help me. Help me help you. No deal. Jesus refuses to compromise with Pilate. So here's Pilate back in the middle. Indecisions, not an option. Compromise is not an option. So here comes the tragedy of agnosticism, verses 12 to 16. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept on shouting. If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And here is where the tragedy occurs. Pilate doesn't think he deserves to be crucified. Yet he ends up allowing something that he knows is wrong. How did he make a decision like that? Because he was manipulated into it the Jewish leaders say to Pilate if you don't do what we're telling you to do we're going to take this to Rome see the idea that somebody would be not a friend of Caesar that's an official accusation that can be made the governor does have supreme authority in his jurisdiction But there is an avenue by which people being governed can take their case to Rome. And they can argue that the governor is not acting in the best interests of Caesar and in the security of the state. And they're threatening him to go to Rome and trump up charges against him. Pilate's mentor and protector is gone. His hold on his position is tenuous. If they were to accuse him, Pilate would have had to go back to Rome and stand trial. If he were convicted, he would lose everything and be expelled from the empire. We know this to be true, because although it doesn't happen in this case because he gives in, four years later, there is another incident with the Samaritans, and there Pilate uses force to put it down. They take the charge to Rome, Pilate is withdrawn from his governorship, is found guilty, exiled, and ends up committing suicide. Pilate is manipulated into making a decision he doesn't fully agree with at the hands of the enemies of Jesus. And this is the tragedy of agnosticism. The tragedy of agnosticism is is that if you do not choose to embrace jesus you end up passively rejecting him because the default position is not believing you actually have to do something in order to embrace him you actually have to make a choice to side with jesus and if you don't make that choice you end up passively rejecting him pilate has not clearly antagonistically sided against Jesus but he's not for him and because he's not for him he gets swept into the camp of Jesus' enemies he doesn't have their mindset he still doesn't think that Jesus is guilty but he ends up making a decision he doesn't agree with that's the tragedy from Marvin's story too wasn't it it's not that he was pro gang not that he really loved that lifestyle it's that because his hold on the way out through education was not strong enough he didn't fully embrace it he was agnostic about it and in that agnostic position the default state is not to get an education because you got to work at it you got to fight for it you've got to embrace it and he didn't do that and one day he woke up finding himself in the middle of a place that he never really wanted to be That's the tragedy of agnosticism, and it's true for those who are faced with Jesus today. If you're here and you're in between these two camps, yes, you're not militarily opposed to Jesus. You probably wouldn't be here, but you're not really for him either. You've not really engaged and embraced. You're more ambivalent. You're more undecided. You're more sitting back saying, well, I'm not so sure. And now I'm here telling you, you've got to do something with Jesus, and you're thinking, I don't like this position. Caught between two different places, and you may try indecision and say, well, I'm just not gonna decide. Or you may try a compromise and say, look, can't we come to some deal? Maybe I'll acknowledge that Jesus is a good teacher, but not actually God. How would that be? Maybe I could just simply acknowledge that he is a major figure in history, but not actually give my life to him. Would that be okay? but indecision and compromise are not options. And the danger and the tragedy of agnosticism is that if you do not choose to embrace Jesus, you are passively rejecting him. And the result of that is tragedy. So what do we do if we want to avoid the mistake that Pilate made? If we want to avoid that neutral position, trying to ride the fence, trying to hold on between two different positions, how can we avoid his fate? Well, the story of Pilate gives us the answer to that question as well. See, there is a fatal flaw that every agnostic exhibits, and it's in Pilate. It's found in verse number 38. Jesus has just gotten done explaining to Pilate that he is the essence of truth. Pilate's response in verse 38, what is truth? What is truth? Now this sounds like it's a deep philosophical postmodern question. It's not. It's a backhand dismissal of the need to engage, embrace, and to think Pilate is not saying, wow, that's a good question. Let's talk about that. See, Pilate's problem is the problem that all agnostics share. It's a fatal flaw. It's that they are more concerned with what's going on today in their daily lives than what is true. That they're so focused on pragmatism and what works. Pilate's got a situation. He wants out of it. When he sees Jesus, he does not look at him as someone who might be the source of all truth. Instead, he sees him as a means to an end. How can you get me out of this fix? Mm -hmm. And in that pragmatic state, he dismisses the question that would have led him to safety because he can't be bothered with it. His schedule's too busy. His day is too full. There's too many pressing things for him to think about the questions of eternity. I mean come on. Pilate has sitting in front of him a man who is being accused of being an insurrectionist and Pilate thinks that's ludicrous. But he doesn't bother to investigate any further. Pilate has a man in front of him who is claiming to be a king, who his enemies claim is a king, yet has no army at this point has no followers, has no possessions? And that doesn't raise a question in Pilate's mind, huh, I wonder what kind of king this guy is. Pilate even has somebody look him in the face and say, his enemies say he's the son of God. Person looks him in the face, Jesus, and says, my kingdom is not of this world. Is that crazy? Pilate doesn't even bother to ask any more questions. You know, you ever heard that question? It's sort of for conversation, stir. It says, if you could have dinner with anybody, any historical figure, alive or dead throughout all of history, who would it be? Many people give the answer to that Jesus. That's what Pilate has. He's got him sitting in front of him. He can ask him any question that he wants. And instead, he can't be bothered. What is truth? Let's get on with getting out of this situation. And that's the real danger of agnosticism. God makes it very clear that he is found when we seek him with all our heart. Half-hearted efforts to think about Jesus will not end up in belief. You cannot simply be neutral about these things. I mean, after all, I'm saying to you, Jesus is God in the flesh. That should at least raise a red flag. What does that mean? Uh God, here among us, I'm saying to you, Jesus died on a cross so that you do not have to spend eternity apart from God. That should raise a question. i got to think about this. I'm saying to you, all your sins, everything you've ever done that has been against God can be forgiven and wiped away. But what the agnostic says is, I don't got time for that. I got to get the lunch today. I got to worry about getting a new job. I got bills I got to pay. I got kids I got problems with. If you tell me how Jesus fixes all those problems, then I'll listen. And the tragedy of agnosticism is not realizing that by refusing to embrace Jesus, you're passively rejecting Jesus. And it's an eternal, tragic decision. The reason I told you the story about Marvin is because he stands as a warning if you don't embrace the opportunities for education you will passively end up someplace you don't want to be the reason God has told us the story about Pilate is to give us an illustration that if you do not stop and think if you do not engage if you do not contemplate and pray and search, you will end up in a position that you don't want to be in. The world will tell us to be neutral is fine. God tells us if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. The story of Pilate is the tragic story that says, engage, question, ask, search. Look, it matters. Maybe not for what you're going to have for lunch today, maybe not for how you're going to go to work tomorrow, but it is truth, and you've got to make a decision. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those who are here today who are in this position of being undecided. God, I thank you that they're not antagonistic. I thank you that they have not aligned themselves against Christ. But I pray that as they, listen, that your spirit would speak to them, that they might realize that the default state is not accepting Jesus because that takes some action. And I pray that this morning, as they hear these words, you would stir in their hearts not to simply wave them away as one more ranting about who this Jesus guy is but instead to stop and to think and to embrace. Lord, I pray for those of us who have friends who are in this position, not for Jesus and not against him. Lord, would you remind us today of the tragedy of Pilate's story, that we need to encourage them one more time to consider what is true. Make that clear, Lord God. Clear away the fog and the confusion and the doubt. And allow us to see clearly that you must be for Jesus or else you are against him. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.